Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoyed the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Enjoyed the music this morning. Thank you so much again for being here. And uh, if you are here for the first time, thank you for joining with us. And I hope you've been encouraged through the worship this morning and through being a part of a service so far. We're in a series entitled Fearless, and I'm going to get started with it here right away this morning. And uh, my goal is to be done so you can watch the rest of your football game or catch the beginning of the next one. Not really, but uh, we'll do our best. But thank you again for being here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start just kind of having you kind of go back a little bit. Some of you may be a little bit farther than others, but I want to reminisce a little bit maybe and in, in just like I said, take yourself there. And I want to ask you a question. Do you have another identity? We actually kind of talked in some regard this morning in our Sunday school class a little bit about names, and I'm going to start with that. And I'm not talking about you have an alias and you've moved to Las Vegas because you killed somebody in some faraway place and you've just kind of became a new person. If that is you, please do this. Don't tell me because I really don't want to know that about you. I thought you were a really cool person and I don't want to know that. Or just go to the police office and tell them who you are. I don't know. But I'm not really talking about that. But I'm talking about maybe some of you would, if you were to go home to your hometown or whatever, if your name is Joe, you're not known as Joe within amongst all your buddies. Or maybe your girlfriend's called you something different or whatever it would be and you have nicknames or maybe your parents called you something other than your name and that would be embarrassing if we were to discuss that today. But maybe your name, the name that you were given isn't really oftentimes the name that you go by. At different times in all of our lives, we may have had different nicknames. I'm just going to embarrass myself today because I'm the one that has a microphone and you guys can reminisce in your own minds and maybe in and amongst yourselves at the end of the service you can talk and laugh about some of those things or while I'm speaking you can do that as well, I guess. But uh, we're going to talk. I'm going to just share a couple things. In my home, I was given the name Aaron Elijah Flanagan. Why is that funny? Man, I don't know where Aaron came from. I've never asked that conversa- or asked that question, but my middle name, Elijah, was after my parents' pastor, who I've grown up calling Grandpa. And so my name was Elijah, my middle name based after him, and he's my, or I'm his namesake. But when I was at home, I was just Aaron. If I was in a little bit of trouble, I was Aaron E., If I was in a lot of trouble, it was Aaron Elijah. And I don't know that I was ever Aaron Elijah Flanagan. I don't remember that. I remember Aaron E. and Aaron Elijah quite often. But um, in the same in our home, we don't use our children's full names unless Maddie or Madison is Maddie, unless Madison is in trouble, then it's Madison or it's Madison Ray. And it kind of, you know. But I was given a name. When I was in elementary school and I started to play sports and things of that nature, you can laugh at this, but my nickname through elementary school, especially playing baseball, was Wheels. See, you laughed at me. My nickname was Wheels. 
because I was fast. When I got into junior high, I played baseball again, and one of my coaches called me Pee Wee. And so you can laugh at my nickname through junior high was Pee Wee. Now, there was a little bit of pride in that. The coach that I had was about 75, 80. I don't know. He would look like 100 when I was 13 years old. But when I was, when I was that age, he was just an older gentleman, and his grandson was on our team, and he was a baseball just guru genius kind of guy. And he loved, one of his favorite baseball players was Pee Wee Reese. And he called me Pee Wee because he said that I reminded him of Pee Wee. So most people make fun of me for that, and I kind of take a little bit of pride and know that, hey, I was Pee Wee Reese who was a Hall of Famer. But anyway, as I got into high school, and if I were to go back today and talk to any of my friends and hang out with any of my buddies from high school, most everybody back home would call me Flanny. And so we all have different nicknames, and we all have different names that have been given to us. Some of those are because they're just birth names, It's what your parents named you. Some of those are what your buddies called you or your girlfriends or whatever it was throughout school. They made different names up about you or for you. You could, everybody everywhere that I've ever been has pretty much called me the same three or four things. It's for whatever reason, whether they knew me or not, Flanny was always a nickname that was given to me. And then it was Flanna something. So Flanagers, Flanders, and all these other millions of whatever names that could go with Flan something. And you guys all have that, I'm sure, within your last names or something that people called you. But as we get into the story this morning and we continue to talk, we all have names, we all have given names. Most of those names have meaning. If we were to go back a number of years and go through the Bible days, or even really if you were to go to the Middle East today, a lot of the names that were given were, were given a name based on a family or based on some specific meaning of that name. And then oftentimes the last names or the names in between would be from the tribe or the area that they lived. And so it would be whatever their first name of, and then they would kind of state those things. It'd be similar even today in many of the Middle Eastern culture. But We look into the story today and we're talking about Gideon and that's where we were last week and where we're going to be today. And Gideon was given the name Gideon until Jesus had came and called Gideon and Gideon was doing what he was, he was being obedient, he was doing what he was asked of God to do or commanded of God to do and he went into the shrine of Baal and he completely wiped out and destroyed the shrine of Baal and Judges chapter number 6. And so as Gideon moves on and Gideon goes and he destroys this shrine or this this altar of Baal, this worship area of Baal, we see starting in about 27, (coughs) excuse me, starting in about 27 it says Gideon took 10 men, (coughs) excuse me, Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down. That was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who hath done this? And basically they asked who that was and they knew that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. And they come down to a place 
In verse number, I completely missed it there. They come down and, and um, Joash was Gideon's father and he calls his son Jeruba, Jerubal in verse number 32. And so in verse 32 it says, Therefore on that day he called him Jerubal, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altar. And basically his father changed Gideon's name or gave Gideon a new name and that word or that name Jerubal means something specific which would deal with the altar of Baal and what his dad was telling him to do. His dad was basically saying, hey, we worship Baal, we worship this, this God because he is a God and, and we, we worship this. He is all powerful, he is almighty, he is all of these things. If he is that, why are we going to kill Gideon? Why don't we let Baal fight for himself, basically? And so Gideon's father gives Gideon a new name. And that new name is, is referencing or standing up for and is mentioning the idea of that, just that, letting Baal worship or let Baal contend for himself. It literally means let Baal plead for himself or let Baal contend. And so Gideon was now called Jerubal as his father who was the keeper of the Baal shrine and altar says, if he is a God, then let him fight for himself, let him defend himself. We shouldn't have to kill on his behalf. And it's at this point in Gideon's life, or at this point really in the, the time of Gideon, where things begin to kind of change a little bit, and people begin to look at Gideon a little bit different. People begin to kind of follow who Gideon is. People begin to, to step in and, and kind of, Gideon has a little bit of a different vibe, so to speak. People begin to, to follow him, as we will see in the next chapter as we're go, going into this. Gideon was no longer just this insecure, timid, shy man that he once was. People began to follow him. He was bold in that he went in and destroyed that shrine or that altar to Baal. And then Gideon kind of asks of God a couple things. He says, God, okay... I'm going to do this, and I'm moving forward with this. And at the end of chapter 6, he, he says, I'm going to throw out this, this fleece. I'm going to throw out this rug, so to speak, and I'm going to put this down on the ground. And if you are, God, if you really want me to do this, I want you to, to make just that area wet with the, the dew. And he wakes up, and it happened. And he says, okay, God. And he kind of even asks for a little bit of a forgiveness. God, I... I probably shouldn't do this, but it says in 39, And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. And so he does it again. He says, Okay, let just that fleece be dry, and let everything else around it be wet. Kind of the opposite of what he just asked. And he comes in, and Gideon kind of had a new little giddy-up about who he was. As he's seen God do a couple things, and he watched, and he had kind of challenged God, so to speak, and even said, God, I, you may be really angry at me, but I'm just going to ask you to, to speak 
I'm going to ask you to do this and kind of prove to me if you would. And we come into the beginning of chapter number 7. Gideon, it says in chapter 7 and verse number 1, then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and he has this new name. And I want to talk this morning, and I want to give us three rather quick points this morning, but I want to kind of bring this to us and to who we are. And my first point is this, is entitled, or just simply, new man. Gideon was a new man based on a new name that was given to him. And I just kind of shared briefly some of that story of how Gideon got that name, and Gideon was, was, was given that by his father because of the, the, the shrine of Baal. But he didn't any longer think of himself in the same manner. Gideon no longer was afraid. He was no longer as timid as he once was. He was no longer feeling that if we, if we were to go back to where we were last week where Gideon was basically saying, listen, I'm in the least of the tribe. I'm in the least of the family. Not only am I the least of the family, I'm the least of the least in the family. And he was kind of going on about, God, I can't do this. Who am I? How can I? And he was asking and going through all these questions to God in chapter number 6. And here we see when God came and, and he got this new name and he kind of had a little different way of kind of moving forward. He carried himself a little bit different. And I want to speak this morning with this first point really being the biggest point or the biggest part of my sermon. But I want to have us think about something. Who are you? Who are you? Now I want you to go back and I want you to tell me or think through or maybe you even write it down. I don't know what you need to do, but who were you? Because when I was a child, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And at that time, God says I became a new creature. All things become new, old things Or passed away. And so though at six or seven years old that I was when I was a child and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I didn't have a a huge track record of sin and I didn't have all of these drug addictions and I didn't have all of these things. The fact of the matter is, I was a sinner who was lost in need of a Savior. I was something prior to Christ. Let me ask you. Who were you? Who were you? Maybe you accepted Christ in your 20s. Maybe it was in your teen years. Maybe you were in your 40s or 50s. Maybe it's just been of late and maybe you're a little bit older in age. I don't know where you were, but who were you prior to Christ? Because here's where we're at this morning. When you accept or you've accepted Christ as your Savior... You become a new man, you become a new person, and the outlook that you have and the way that you carry yourself and who you are after Christ has came into your life should be a little bit different than you were before. Gideon, after he encountered God, was a different man than he was before he encountered God. We went into that last week. 
is fear. God, I am nobody. God, our family is a bunch of nobodies. God, we can't. God, I can't. I, I can't go through all of these things. I am not a man of valor. I am not any of these things. And here we see Gideon being a new man. When God calls you, he becomes the source of how things are going to get done, not you. Gideon was called, and when Gideon was called, God came to equip him. Often we live knowing or even accepting the call, but still thinking that we have to do something. Here's what we have to do, is be obedient. God didn't go to Gideon and say, okay, Gideon, I need you to do this. I need you to come in and I need you to to go from hiding in behind of a wine press and and sneaking, trying to to do what you were doing by threshing the weed. And I, I need you now to just stand in front of all these people and become this mighty, mighty man. No, God called him and asked him to be obedient and allow God to work through him. Oftentimes in our call, we get scared because I can't do what the call is. None of us can. But I want to stop for just a moment. And I want to go down memory lane and I want to go down throughout Scripture of of what happens to you and to me when you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, when salvation, when Christ came into your life, and when you said, God, I need a Savior. God, I am nobody. God, I need you. God, I am a, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I want to kind of allow us to think for a moment. And maybe this morning you sit here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never, never came to a point in your life where you know that you are in need of a Savior And I want to encourage you that you can be this as well. I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I can. I've got a list of things, and I'll be real honest. If you can sit in your chair and just be like, oh, that's really good, then you're a special, special person. But as I've studied this this week, it's something that gets me excited. It's something that I may not stand behind this little pulpit if that's all right. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In 1 Peter, it says that we become, we gain an incorruptible inheritance. In John chapter 1 and verse number 12, it says that we become the sons of God. In Ephesians chapter number 2, when we gain this new new person, when we become a new man, we become fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. This earth becomes a strange place. We are now foreigners in a strange land. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we become heirs of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it states that we become a royal priesthood. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood unto an holy nation, a peculiar people. In John chapter 10, it says that we are given eternal life, that we should never perish. In Philippians chapter 4, it says that we are given peace with God. In John chapter 15, it says that we become a friend of God. In Luke 10 and in Philippians 4, it states that we, our names are written into the book of life. 
In Titus 2, it says that we gain the blessed hope. And accepting Christ as our Savior, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit in John 14 says that He is our comforter. In John 16, it says that He's the guide for truth. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says that our bodies are becoming of the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, it states that we are given spiritual gifts that allow us to help us through the journey that we are on. And if none of that gets you excited... I'm going to give you this, and if this doesn't get you excited, I, I, I'm at a loss. But here's what I am in Christ. And I've got four little things here, then these little things changed my life, and these little things changed your life if you know Christ as your Savior. But in Luke chapter 7, it says that we are forgiven. I am forgiven. The old man that I once was, though I was just a child, I am forgiven. The next one says that I am redeemed. And I, when I accepted Christ, when I was accepted into the family of God, and I became an heir, I became a son of God, I became all of those things, I became, God redeemed me. God forgave me. God, it says, sanctified me. He sets me apart. I become something new. And listen, a part of that and reason why I'm speaking of this this morning is this. If we live our lives as if nothing has ever changed and we don't step into a new life and we don't accept what God has done for us, we live and we walk basically as dead people. When I accept Jesus Christ, when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a new person. The old things are gone. I don't any longer have to live and think that, man, I don't have a hope of eternity. I don't have to live and think that that there is nothing better for me. Though I was just a child, here's the reality of it. God forgave me. Though it may have just been what we would call just a little white lie. It may have been that I hit my sisters. It may have been that I disobeyed a parent. It may may not have been a big thing. Here's the reality. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden... They sinned, and when they sinned, it was passed down from generation to generation, and that one sin gave death. And by death, I need a Savior. And when Jesus Christ came, He became the Savior for you and for me, and I accepted that, and I became a new man. And when I became a new man, I was forgiven. When I became a new man, I was sanctified. When I became a new man, I was redeemed. I became something. I don't any longer have to think about all those things. I can stand up just like Gideon stood up in front of all those people. And he said, hey, God's with me. Hey, I don't, I don't have to just hide behind the wine press any longer. I can step out and I can lead the people into do something that God has called me to do. And with that, in Romans chapter 6, it says a couple of different times, but it states that 
I have victory. You know what? I love sports and I love to win. You don't do it every time. I'm a Browns fan. We don't do it often at all. But here's the reality in your life and in my life. Sin doesn't have to defeat me. Because it's already been defeated. You don't have to live in fear of death. Why? Because death has already been conquered. We don't have to live in fear of what could be. Why? Because God's already given us victory. That doesn't mean we live a perfect life. That doesn't mean everything's going to be great. That doesn't mean we're not going to have financial struggles. That doesn't mean we're going to have faith issues. That doesn't mean any of those things. But we can trust in an almighty God who died and rose again to give me new life, to give me a new name, that gave me a new man. And we can have victory in that. And just like Gideon way back when took 32,000 men up against a hundred and something thousand men, and God said, "Mm, not quite there. Hold on. 32, a hundred and something, a hundred thousand difference. Nah, not enough. All right, God. And he stood and he said, what? Any of you that are fearful, go ahead and go. 22,000 leave. God says, hmm, not enough. All right, God, what do you got for me now? Why does that happen? Because Gideon became a new man when God came onto the scene in his life, just like you and me, when God steps in and when God made you somebody new, a new man was given. A new name was given. I don't have to live in fear of what could be. I don't have to live that way anymore. I've been given victory. I have been given something that I can look forward to. Hey, there's a hope. We sat in here yesterday with a couple hundred people with a 16-year-old boy who passed tragically. Guess what? There was a lot of people who didn't understand eternity. There was a lot of people who didn't understand the fact that Jesus Christ died for their sins and they didn't have to live not knowing and fearful of death. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. And based on all of those things, here's what I get to do. I get to be an ambassador for him. I get to live my life. I get to live my life as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I don't have to live my life going, man, all these rules that God's given me to do. No. I get to live as his ambassador. You and I, if you know Christ is your Savior, like it or not, you get to live as His ambassador. Why? Because we are a new man. Gideon was no longer Gideon of the beginning part of chapter 6. He had a new name, therefore he was able to act and live as a new person. The next part is this, the next point is a new location. And these last two points are 
quicker than that one, but he has a new location. If we were to look through this passage in John, or in John, in Judges chapter 7, then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. And as we go through and we can read through this, and it kind of goes through some of the things that I just stated, how, how it says in 3, Now therefore go to proclaim in thine ears of the people, saying, Whomsoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from the Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down under the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of the whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth him, shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knee to drink, and the number of them that lapped putting their hand to the mouth were three hundred men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knee to drink water. And God took three hundred men to go into this battle. But throughout here you see that there was two different things, two different places, locations that God took Gideon. He took all the people, 32,000 of them traveled and pitched their tents or they set camp at, the, at Herod. And the word for Herod is timid or fear. So Gideon, who was fearful and timid and insecure, takes those 32,000 people to a location entitled fear. How about that? And it doesn't state that this was a specific reasoning or anything other than they mentioned that it was a place that was up higher, they had water, they had the things that they needed. There's no real Maybe we can look into it as, as illustration or whatever that the, the name of the mountain was uh, fear. But he looks at the people and he says, hey, if you're afraid, go ahead and leave. Could you imagine going to war? We're in the midst of a mess. The president says, all right, we're going to go fight this war. And when you get there, uh, you know what, guys? If any of you guys are afraid and a little bit timid, why don't you go ahead and leave? 22,000 checked out. Now let's, let's walk again. Let's go down a little bit further. I would assume at this point Gideon was like, hold on, time out. We only have 32,000 of us as it is. We're already going up against the sea of people that they already, they stated as innumerable. We can't even tell how many there are. And you just got rid of 22,000 people. We're in a perfect location. We have food. We have everything that we need. We can kind of see over. We can, we can see the people that we're about to fight. And now you're telling us to go down in and, and hold on. We're, we got too many of us? I don't know what Gideon said or what went through Gideon's mind other than he was obedient and he did it. 
But they went down and they go to 300. Let me challenge you today. When you have a new life, the new creature, you also have people who are following you. You have to stand and you have to lead. And I imagine those people that were around were kind of maybe looking at him and thinking, this guy's lost his mind. I don't know what they were thinking. But as you and I live within our homes, we live within the communities that we live in, we go to work within the people that we work with, our coworkers and the different things, people watch us, people see us. As we're obedient, people recognize and follow. Though they may not understand the terminology of being obedient to God or being any of those things, people watch and people follow. And as Gideon was continually leading those people to a new location, to a different place, they continued to follow. And Gideon took the men to the mountain of fear. Then they went down and he let them get some water as they passed through the river. And the ones that did it a certain way, he said, you guys stand over here, and if you do it a different way, then you guys can go over here. And then they, they split off, and he says, all right, you guys go home. Where you stand determines the vantage point from which you take the enemy's attacks on your life. When I listen to God and I accept the new location that He may put me, when I follow where He's leading us, though I may not understand, though I may not grasp it, when I accept the fact that God gave me something new and God gave me a call and God gave me a challenge and God gave you that, when I accept that and when I continue to move forward being obedient to Him, the vantage point that I set myself at allows me to see the attack a whole different way. You go, where is this? Let me challenge you. Let me, let me just say this. I don't know what your battle is in life, but when you become a new person, a new creature, I use this illustration often. If I was once an alcoholic, going to the bar isn't the best place for me to go. And you can take that in any specific way to whatever the thing is that you battle with. But where you stand, the vantage point from where you are, you can see the enemy's attack. And if I'm in the midst of the bar and I was once an alcoholic, that's not the best vantage point for me to be in. Gideon was led to these different locations as he just was obedient and followed God and he was doing the things as people were leading him. We need a new location. Don't put yourself in the situation where you used to be. Don't set yourself up to fail. Put yourself in a new location as God has given you a new name. And lastly, is real simple this morning, is God's perfect. <clears throat> Though we look at this and we would go, God, I don't understand. Gideon probably said, God, I don't understand. We were, we were already outnumbered by thousands and thousands and thousands. And now all of a sudden it's, 300 to over 130,000 people. The ratio was like 430 to 1. <clears throat> what do we do? Here's where we are. God is perfect. God is sovereign. God knows what's about to happen. Here's what we need to do. 
is be obedient. Though it isn't comfortable, we need to be obedient. You and I need to be in a place where it's, we are the one against the 450, so to speak, in our lives. I, I've said it so many times, I look up at different people and I think, man, I wish I had the faith of that person. And there's giants of faith, so to speak, in my life that I go, man, I wish I had. Man, I wish I had. I wish I was that. I wish I could do that. And the reality is, I can. But you know what sets most of those people apart? They are the one against the 450, and they trust in God, and they just have a faith to be able to go out. And they're willing to put themselves in an uncomfortable position to watch God do something because he's called them to be something a little bit different. Gideon was put in a position to be a little bit different. And when Gideon was given the new name, and when Gideon was called in chapter 6, and then given a new name a little bit later there in chapter 6, he became a new person. He stood a little bit different. He put his chest out a little bit higher, and he looked at the people and he said, Okay, let's go. Where before all of those people would have looked at him and said, Who are you? But he set himself out. God set him up to be a little bit different. Just like many of you have been set up to be a little bit different. But oftentimes our problem is, I'm not willing to be uncomfortable. I like to sit in my lazy boy and kick my feet back. I don't have a lazy boy, but I I like to sit on my couch, kick my feet up, and watch television. I say this all the time. It's so much easier as a parent, to give my kids the iPad or to put a video on the television and just sit back and relax and do nothing because I've been tired at work. It's so much easier. But when do I get the most joy out of being a dad? Is when I kind of become a little bit uncomfortable. I get down on the ground. I wrestle with my kids. They all pile up on me and we fight and we do all of those things. I would much rather sit on the couch and watch the ball game. But sometimes I got to be uncomfortable. We're in a society where parents don't like to be uncomfortable. It's easier to put the kids in front of a video game. And that's easy. That's speaking as just you and I. But when we look at our Christian lives, we do the same exact thing. You know what? It's really easy to come on Sunday morning. Church starts at 1030. I'll make sure I'm there at 1030 and it's over at 1. And I'll be gone at 1. If you're a guest, we're nearly not done at one. But it's easy. But when somebody comes to you and says, hey, man, I've, I've noticed you've been here, and I noticed you, what would you think about helping in this area? Whoa. My comfort zone is church at 1030, leave when it's over. Hey, you know, that preacher, he spoke on money. Whoa, my comfort zone is, I come at 10.30, I leave when it's over. You don't get any of my money. All the pastors do is preach about money. That's all they want is your money. No. When we step out on faith because God's given us a new name, because God's made us something different, because we now are his ambassador, we now stand out for him, not for myself, we become a little uncomfortable in areas. And that's okay. You know the greatest thing that's ever happened to me? Not the. One of the greatest things that's ever happened to me is I've been put in situations where I've been uncomfortable. 
and I've had to either plow through it and learn and grow in it, or I have at times just went back on the couch and sat down and was like, ah, this, isn't, this is too easy. I like what I'm doing over here much more than that. But here's what Gideon did. Gideon said, all right, God, I'm going to go destroy that temple or that, that shrine of Baal. I'm going to go destroy my father's shrine. It was his father's shrine. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to wipe it out. And the next morning, they wanted his head. They wanted him dead. But he was obedient. Then he steps out, and he, was, he comes to the, the, the people, and he says, okay, here's what we're doing. We're going to go take these guys out. And they go, and they set up camp, and he says, all right, if you're afraid, leave. And then they're left with 10,000. He says, all right, we're going to go down here. And he says, okay, all of us, we're going to go do this. And okay, wait, you know what? Why don't you guys go home too? And he sat, and he looked at those 300 men, and he said, all right, Here we go. Are you ready? Because I'm ready. Let's go. I don't know what that charge was. That must have been one heck of a pregame speech for Gideon to look at those men and say, all right, are you guys ready? 300 against 130,000. We're good. But they all went. Why? Because Gideon trusted in God, the perfect sovereign God that he had called him out that he had brought him to a new place and that he was willing to be uncomfortable and now we read about Gideon as a child and we talk about it in different areas of our life and different things why because Gideon said you know what God I don't understand why you called me the least of the least of the least I don't have anything to offer you. God, here I am. And then he watched God do something neat. And then he obeyed. And he came back and he's like, all right, God, I'm going to throw out this fleece and I'll do that. And God, I'm going to do this and I'll do that. And he puffed up his chest a little bit more because he watched God do his thing and he watched God do his thing. And then he came and he, all right, 32,000, let's go, we're going to charge them. Oh, wait, by the way, if you're afraid, go ahead and leave. We're good. 10,000, hey, you guys go ahead and go. We've got this covered. Go sleep at home tonight. And he looks at the 300 and he says, all right, God said we're good to go. Let's go. I don't know where you are today. But when I look through Scripture, God loves to take the weak to confound the strong. God took David, minus the armor, minus anything. He said, hey, get five smooth stones and let's go challenge the giant. God enjoys when we stand up and say, I don't think I can go any further. And God is saying, come on, let's watch what's about to happen. Joshua in the battle of Jericho, Daniel as he prayed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they went into the fire and watched the fourth come in and watched God come in. God is God. He wants our obedience. He wants you and he wants me. He wants my heart. He says, there is no need for fear. I will win the battle. Gideon said, okay, 
I'll trust. Gideon said, all right, God, I'll go. Can I ask you this as we wrap up this morning? And we're going to sing a song of worship before we leave this morning, but can I ask you this? Have you been given a new name? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? You've been given a new name. Your name is written in the book of life. Then why do we live in fear? Why are we afraid to step out and obey? I'm talking to myself. I've been given a new name. I've been made new. I've been some, I am not the same that I used to be. So why do I need to act the same that I used to act? Why is it when God throws something my way, I stop and I go, well, God, I'm just not quite ready to do that. And we step back. And I challenge you. Can I just ask you, as we come to an invitation time, who were you? Prior to Christ coming into your life, who were you? Well, I was saved at a young age. Who were you? What was your destiny? What was the hope that you had prior to Christ? What is that? Now let me ask you this. Do you live your life any different? Or do you just, are you just able to say, well, I, I prayed a prayer and I'm going to heaven. If you live your life stating, I prayed a prayer and I'm going to heaven. One, I challenge you that that's a scary place to be. There will many that will stand before God and say, Lord, but I knew you. He will say, I never knew you. Depart. God wants us to be something different. He forgave you. He redeemed you. He's given you a new life. Do you live as though he gave you a new life? If I could have the praise team come forward. We're going to sing a song of worship this morning as we close out. And I'm going to have a stand. It's going to be a newer song. Some of you may have never heard it before. But I want to worship God this morning with this song. And I want to ask you that question. God has given you a new name if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And you've realized and you've came to a place where you knew you needed a Savior. Are you living your life a new creature? This song says, here's my heart, Lord. Take all of me. This morning, I'm going to ask if we stand to our feet. The praise team is going to lead us in this song. I'm going to challenge you. Maybe you would say this morning, I don't know Christ is my Savior. I need a Savior. Maybe you would say just like I did this week, God, I need to live my life as if I truly am a new creature. 
I need to live with a little bit more boldness. Maybe you would come forward this morning. Maybe you would sit where you're sitting. But I'm asking you this. Would you give your heart to God this morning? Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.